The Deviation Podcast. turning into what you're doing now. I mean, that's, I mean, going from a program like that and having all of those changes in one inside of you, but also affecting the rest of your life. I mean, that's, that's still a huge jump from all of those changes to yeah. you, you um, founding your organization. Well, um, I drove back through Colorado and that's where my mom and dad live. I stopped at my mom and dad's house. Um, and this is kind of a like a sappy, like hard story to tell, um, but in a good way. Um, I stopped at my mom and dad's house, and mom cooked supper. And I was talking. I was so excited and so exuberant, and talking about all these experiences that I'd had and doing all these different things and all the stuff that I had learned. And um, my parents are, oh, yeah, they're all excited and happy that I'm st- I stopped in. And uh finished eating my supper. And uh, I it's still so vivid in my mind. It's so fresh and so vivid. I'll never forget. I finished up my supper and I went and I put my plate in the sink. And I turned around and I walked out kind of into the, to the living room area. And I looked around my mom and dad's house. And uh, I just started sobbing. <clears throat> and my mom, my mom looked at me and said, she said, what, son, what? And I said, mom, I'm home. That was the first time, <clears throat> excuse me, that was the first time I had been home in over a decade and actually stood in my parents' house and was there. Um uh, working with the horses and, and doing all that stuff finally brought me home. And it goes back to Rose telling me, you're never home. You're never here. I finally understood what she meant by that. I was always somewhere else. In my mind, I was always somewhere else. But for that first time in in literally... It was like a decade. I was home. I was there with my parents. I hugged my mom and dad. I really hugged my mom and dad like you hug your parents uh, for the first time in a really long time that night. And I was able to be there. And I've been home. That's when I came home. And um, things started to make sense. Why I struggled so much. Things were starting to unfold um why I was struggling so much and um so now I I have I'd spent this huge amount of time and working with horses and and getting a better understanding of who I was and what I realized was that I kept struggling to be the person that I used to be because people felt like that's who I should be because 
I'm going to kind of get off on a sidebar here. We we all know that the divorce rate among uh, service members is 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 astronomical. I mean, it's it's huge. Um, and I I think a lot of service members who get deployed or even just serve in the military to an extent um, have what you see what you see as a family member or a friend of a service member when that person leaves you expect to see that same thing when they return right of course you're not seeing you're not seeing that individual go through changes and deal with life and and doing and doing different things i was i was in washington then kuwait and iraq and um and doha cutter and then i came home that was a year of my life a year over a year of my life i was a year just in theater and so the person that left in November of 2005 or August of 2005 and returned in November of 2006, people think you're just going to pick up right where you left off. Well, I've seen things, I've done things, I've had experiences um, that have changed, that have changed me. And it was difficult and I started to recognize where relationships I had, where relationships I'd had with people started to were breaking down because they expected me to be Jeremy circa 1999. And here I am, Jeremy 2016, <laughs> you know, and yeah. they, there's that expectation. And so you have, so I think that's, that's my theory is what happens in divorce rates are so high service members come home and the, the spouse like dude you're different and then w- when someone tells you dude you're different you're it's off-putting and you're put on guard and so right. you're working to try to be not different but you don't really remember or know how to be anything than what you are now it's just it becomes a mess and that's exactly what happened the only person really that i can just be me was Rose because she met me after I came home and that's all she knew. She knew me from when I came home until today. That's the person she knows. The only big gap she's had is when when I went through the program. And that's a totally different story in and of itself, which is something that I'm very interested in, in, in working with. But anyway, you asked how did we get to, to, to how Charlie Five got established. When I was in Montana, I had to ride that horse, and he was a hunk of junk. Um, <laughs> I, I started doing research, and I really started to think about, you know, how do these organizations, how do, how do therapeutic riding programs, how do therapy programs get their animals? You know, what, how much does a horse cost? What does it take to have a horse? And I'm starting to look at all these different things because, one, I'm getting a mule. I was going to be getting a mule, and I wanted to work with that mule. And, two, I wanted to see – you know, where, how does this stuff work? And I had all these aspirations and all these ideas. What am I going to do? Maybe I'll, I'll take uh, veterans in the, in the mountains and, and take them elk hunting and I'll do this, I'll do that. But it always just came back around to the horses. I really just wanted to work with horses. 
because that's where outside of the woods I felt I feel a sense of peace and it's good for me um, and I enjoy it and so I kept thinking about all these things and what I realized is you have programs across the country around the world that use equines as a therapy tool there's documented cases of nonverbal autistic children um, saying their first words and it being during equine assisted therapy. It's they're, wow. they're pretty it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, I don't know if uh, here and there I'll the chive actually had I don't know if you're familiar with the chive, but they're like a, yeah I've heard of it. Yeah. So um, anyway, they had a deal where it's a, a little girl in in England somewhere nonverbal um and she started going and spending time with a therapy donkey and um after spending a short amount of time with this therapy donkey she's now talking um there are people who uh i know of a guy i met him one time he's a a, a veteran um his story's long story short he fell out of a he came out of an airplane with a student um, he was an instructor at some kind of jumping out of airplane school in the military. I don't know what it was, but he ended up uh, saving the student's life, but hitting the ground at over 100 miles an hour. And the guy, the guy survived. Um, was told he was never going to walk again, and he started look, trying to figure out what he was going to do so he could walk again. And started going through equine assisted therapy, and he's now walking. He runs his own business, um, and he teaches leadership uh, through horsemanship. So he takes people, business people, out on horseback rides, and teaches them leadership uh, through horsemanship, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, I, a good a good friend of ours, a very very close friend of ours, um, Genevieve. Um, she grew up around horses all of her life. She's a very talented musician um, and got in a – was involved in a horrific traffic accident, and they told her she would never walk again. She, They told her parents that if she made it through the night, they'd be very, very surprised. And um, she's she broke her back. She has a cadaver bone in her back, um, and she's walking – and riding horses, that's the only motivation she had was to get out there and work with horses and be around horses. So I, I recognized in myself how incredible of – they, they healed. They heal. They're, just, they're huge. They can bully you over. They can, they can knock you down. They can hurt you. But they're so gentle, and they, they help give you confidence. They, they – it's just incredible to see people who have never worked with horses before get involved with horses and start working with them. You start to see things. Horses don't let you lie. You can't lie to a horse. They're like a dog, right? A dog knows when you're full of it, yep. right? You mm-hmm. train dogs, so you understand it's, yep. <laughs> it's essentially the, the same thing. So, so when, so when I first reached out to you, I was listening to another one of your uh, uh, Robin Colima's podcast, and he said some some things in there where they just 
hit so close to home that I was standing there, I was cleaning stalls, I'm, you know, doing my everyday work, and um, it just hit me. Um, and my horse is eating, and to get a horse away from his food is pretty, pretty interesting. Like it's, it's <laughs> they, you just don't get them away from them when they're eating their hay. But my horse stopped eating, and he walked over to me, and he just stood next to me. He he knew I was having a moment, and he was just there. And so, um, anyway, so I recognized how much healing power there is in horses, and how how um, you have to be a leader. Um, a horse wants a leader. They don't they don't want somebody that's going to BS them. They don't want somebody that's going to that they they see right through you, and what I started as things started unfolding and I started to recognize what had fallen apart, uh, things really fell apart after I got out of the military because I left something that I'd known for such a long time where I was, where I was somebody. I was important. I had a place. I had a purpose. Soldiers came to me, said, hey, Sergeant Spitzer, can you, hey, Sergeant Spitzer. I had I had leadership coming to me and saying, Sergeant Spitzer. Um and then I got out. That was just Jeremy. Right. Just another dude I was just another dude. And I would go to work and I would see bosses and I would see managers, but I never really saw any leaders. The the Lack of leadership, and I'm just going to kind of go off on a tangent for a couple seconds. The lack of leadership within the workplace in this country just absolutely baffles me. People don't are not interested at all in being a leader. People are interested in being the boss and being in charge, and that's all fine and good. But there's a reason why there's that, what's that saying, how does that say? People don't quit their job, they quit their boss. It's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a good if you have a good boss that's a leader, people will stick around making nothing because they have a good leader for their boss. And so, um, when I wasn't a leader anymore, when I didn't have a purpose, when I didn't have a job, that's when things started falling apart. And so, I started thinking. You know, these programs, they use horses. How do they get their horses? A lot of times the horses are donated to them. And it's, uh, it's um, you know, there's a reason why someone wants to give, give away a horse. Uh, something's wrong with a horse, probably, in a lot of cases. I'm not saying in every case, but in a lot of cases, something's wrong with a horse. Horses can be crazy just like people, just like I'm sure you've dealt with dogs that are genuinely crazy it's just the way it is right <laughs> i'm sure you I, I i don't know but you've worked with enough dogs to know that that dog isn't going to fit the program for whatever for whatever reason right yeah same thing so same thing with horses now you have these programs out there that are trying to impact people's lives um and they're using horses to do it they're trying to make a positive impact on people and Horses are expensive. They're they're they can be difficult to train. They're very expensive to train, and 
So you have organizations, you have nonprofits out there who get these horses for free, and they don't necessarily have the funding to go out there and pay a trainer to make sure this horse is all good to go. They have to rely on themselves doing it and trying to fit it in there, and do they have the time and the money and the resources to really spend good quality time with this horse and figure out what where its holes are and how to fill those holes. I don't know. I don't honestly I think they get the horse and if it doesn't buck them off they say, okay, we're gonna put it in the program because it, it meets the criteria and we can do it and the horse oh, has uh, a health problem or something like that. So continuity with someone with maybe a developmental disability that gets attached to a horse, this horse now is gone. So right. what do you do now, right? Or the horse um, just doesn't fit the program, and they realize, oh, this horse doesn't fit the program. Now they got to figure out what to do with the horse. So initially it started out as, for one, I didn't have any money. Um, we had used what we had in savings to cover bills while I was gone. Um, so we had just a couple hundred bucks. I had a mule coming from, uh, from Ken up in, uh, Ken up in, up in Wyoming. And, um, I knew, I knew, and I, I know to this day, I know that if I quit working with horses, I feel like I'm just going to regress and I'm going to go back. I just, they're such a big part of me and, and, and my growth and how I live that, um, I know if I quit, I'm just going to go back. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to where, to where I was. Um, and I know how I feel today and I, I can remember how I felt then. And I want veterans and 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 um, law enforcement and firefighters as people, first responders. I don't want them to feel that way. I want them. To, I want to help them feel the way I feel today. Confidence, feeling good about themselves, knowing that what they've gone through and what they've dealt dealt with. Um, that you don't have to hold on to it. If you get engaged in horsemanship, if you start doing this stuff, it helps even it out. It never goes away. It never goes away, obviously. Um, but you have a way to cope. And it's, some, it, it's doing what you already know, caring for someone else, being a leader. Yeah. And so it, it, it started evolving from there. Well, I was going to start training horses and give them to therapeutic riding programs. And then um, I got engaged in some other in some other programs like the Semper Fi Fund, uh, Jinx McCain Horsemanship Program, and I started meeting other veterans out there who were genuinely interested in horsemanship and working with horses. I started thinking, well, these guys are waiting between what we call clinics or sessions. They're a week long, and they'll wait six weeks, a month, six months to go to another clinic. And how much? They thrive in that week. And then the last day, the day it's time to go home, everybody's somber and bummed out again. Right? So how do I – let's use these veterans to train these horses. They're learning horsemanship skills through these other programs. Well, how do we, how do we make this evolve? Because I can't do all the work myself. Um, so my wife and I 
before in in November uh, 2016, two years ago, um, a, two years and five days ago, uh, we established our nonprofit Charlie Flies. Um, sent off. We used the last little bit of money we had in the bank to send off our money to the Secretary of State and um, to the IRS and. Uh, we got our approval back almost, from what I understand, almost immediately. I mean, we didn't have to send back and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It was basically within just a very short time that they sent us back our okay to be a 501c3 nonprofit with the goal of training horses for therapeutic riding programs. And uh, we started with literally nothing. We had nothing. I didn't have, I didn't even have a halter. I had a, had a part of a saddle. That Ken bought for me while I was in, while I was up there with him. He bought the saddle, um, but it wasn't complete. I couldn't even ride a horse. I couldn't, I didn't have a full saddle. And so the very first fundraiser we did, we went to is I, w we went to a, a bull riding thing at a, a local arena and we set up a table and we did a 50 50 raffle and made like a hundred bucks. And that was how we started doing things. We had people donating. Um, we had people donate uh, corral panels um, and and money so that we could buy, you know, hay mangers and equipment. And somebody donated uh, somebody donated hay to us to get started, and um, and then. February 2017, I went and picked up the mule. We met in Colorado. I picked up the mule and brought him back, and that's where we got started. And um, it's been a holy smokes thing ever since. Ever since then. Um, yeah, no kidding. So how does how does your program work exactly? Like, so like walk me through the way the way it works, please. As of right now, um, I look through these different programs to identify veterans that would be good candidates, essentially, um, for the program. What I'm looking for is a, um, a, a, a kind of a way to – I'm a horrible basketball player, and I will never be – a good basketball player. I tried and tried and tried to be a good basketball player. I played basketball and, and I never got to play. I always got to be on the bench, but um, I was, I, I will never be a good basketball player. But there were other guys on my basketball team that just naturally got it. You know, <laughs> like there's people that just get it. And so what I try to do is I try to identify these, these veterans at these different, um, these different things that we go to or these different things that I go to and um, I try to look for there's three types. You have the veteran that just is naturally good. And then you have the veteran that makes progress and is really w willing to work at it and get better and strives, but has to work, but they're dedicated and committed to the horse and they understand it. They just have a hard time. Um, it just doesn't come as easy, as Ken put it. Yeah. Uh, while I was in, while I was in, uh, was was that with him? 
he said, um, you know, you can teach, you can teach mechanics and technical skills. I could teach that all day long. That's not hard. But you can't teach someone try. You know, um, and so we're we're interested. Yeah, I'm interested in identifying veterans in that first two categories. I don't want the the guy that's just never going to get it, or the veteran that's never going to get it. It's just not fair to, to the animal. They're just not going to get it. And yeah, I'm sorry, you need to stay in therapeutic riding programs because those are the kinds of horse. And I'm, it's not to be mean. What I'm looking for yeah. is trying to get a veteran engaged um, so that they want to have a horse of their own outside of other programs so that they can do what they want to do with it and they can continue to grow. Um, I really wish I had a, something to do. I could do something for those that other section of, of individuals, but I want, I'm trying to grow the horse as well. Because um, right. the goal is we get a horse um, to date. We've, we've donated two equines since 2016. That's all we've done. I say that's all we've done. I wish we'd done more, but we've done a lot of building and there's been a lot of, uh, Wait, what was that? What was that number you cut out when you said it? Two. One, two. Got it. Perfect. (laughs) Two horses. Um, Since since we were founded, uh, we've moved. Uh, We built facilities. We tore all of them down. We moved. Um, I had a a family member take uh, another family member, a very close uncle of mine, pass away. Um, Dealt with that, um, and then just trying to get that going you know just trying to keep things keep things afloat but in that two years we have managed to to deliver two equines to to veterans um and the way the way we look at it is uh, for example i think it's best if i explain it in perspective how how we're working with uh the first veteran we donated or we gave a horse to her name is melissa and she's in she's in texas um, she approached us and told me, you know, I'm interested in getting a horse, but, you know, um, how do I get involved in your program to um, to help you out? Oh, well, when somebody reaches out to me and asks me how they can help me um, and help our program, they don't reach out to me and ask me for free stuff. That goes a long way. Um, I'm not interested in giving out freebies. Uh, the thing that got us to where we are today and got me to where I am today personally is a lot of hard work and looking inside myself and and just being dedicated to changing my life. Um, so she reached out to me, said, I, I'm interested in getting involved in your program. How can I help you? And as I got to know her a little bit better, I realized that she was having a really hard time. She was, she's, a, she's a veteran. She was really struggling. And she um, she needed something. And so I talked to her more and more. I said, well, you know, we don't really need anything right now, but I'll keep you, you know, I'll keep you in mind. I have your contact information and whatnot. And, I mean, all this kind of transpired within just a week or two weeks or something like that. I got a call from a trainer that we work with in Arizona, Jeff, uh, Jeff Cook and his wife, Kelsey. Um, they run a, they train Mustangs near Tucson. And Kelsey got a hold of me and said, hey, we got a horse out here. It was Jeff. He said, I got a horse out here. 
It's a really good horse. I mean, he's good and sound. Um, this horse just needs a person that has time, that can just spend time with him, because he has he has he has it in him to be a really really good horse. He just needs time. Do you have anybody lined out that might be able to work with him? I said, I think I do. And so I called Melissa back and I said, Melissa, I know you're talking about getting a getting a uh, uh, a Mustang of your own and starting your own Mustang from from the very beginning. But what if I got you one that said that that has maybe fifty or or so rides on it? She's like, Yeah, that that would work, but I don't have anywhere to put him. So I'm explaining to you now how our how our, how our program works through the story that how things panned out with with Melissa and it, and it works pretty good. So I said, All right, let's see what we can do. So we had established our application process for a veteran to receive a horse from us. And through that application process, we're interested in, in, in how they're going to keep it. Um, do you have a vehicle, you know, what questions we ask, do you have a vehicle capable of pulling a horse trailer with a horse in it? Do you have a horse trailer? If not, if you don't have either of these things, how are you going to obtain these things if you need to move your horse trailer? Right? If you need to move your horse, these aren't questions that are going to deny the veteran getting from getting a horse. It's to get the veteran engaged, to get them thinking, and to start using using their leadership skills again and engaging them because they're potentially going to take on a huge responsibility. Right? Oh yeah. They need to, they need to know how much it costs. For feed, they need to they need to identify they need to identify a veterinarian that's going to check on their horse if, if it gets sick. They need to know uh, where they're going to go to get the horse's feet trimmed. They need the, one of the biggest things we we need them to have is a mentor. I haven't done all this on my own. I've had I've had mentors. I've had Ken to call up on the phone or or Jeff or this guy over here or these different trainers and these different horse people that I can call on the phone and say. Man, I'm stuck. Right? That's leadership. When you get stuck, you call and you ask for help. That's how you're a leader. That's that's what you do. And the, the process is to to engage them. And I, I get a lot of veterans that say, I want a horse. I said, we'll fill out some application. And I never hear anything from them ever again. Right? But with Melissa, she went out there and she identified. Uh, she, already, she was already dealing and working with uh, a trainer that was going to mentor her. She just wanted her own horse. And so we had um, – she already had a farrier lined out. She had a veterinarian lined out. She had a pickup. She's going to rent a trailer from uh, uh, Outdoor Recreation at the Air Force Base. Um, she knew how much it was going to – she went out and researched how much it was going to cost for hay. Um, she went out and researched all the things that she needed to research. And I said, okay, we'll help you. We'll raise money to get you a place to put the horse. She had just bought a house um, on two acres of land. So she had plenty of land. She could keep a horse on her. She just didn't have a place to keep him. So I said, we'll raise, we'll see what we can do to raise money. I didn't raise the money. Melissa raised the money. She went out there and put it forth the effort. She told people that she knew, hey, I have this opportunity to get a horse. And if you can donate money, go over to this, go over here and donate money over here. And they're going to, they're going to help me buy 
uh, facilities around Penn or whatever she wanted to keep her horse in. And so the goal was to raise two thousand dollars to get to put so she could put her horse put her horse up. And we raised we raised close to two thousand dollars for her. Called up a building supply there in San Antonio near San Antonio. Said, hey, I need to buy this um, and have it delivered here. The delivery shows up with corral panels and equipment from Prefort, and she gets them set up. And I drive to Tucson, Arizona. I pick up this horse for her, who's had at this point probably 10, 15 rides on him. And then I go to work. That's where I get my therapy. I put everything I had into this horse for the two weeks that I had. Scary. <laughs> two weeks at times. Um, heartfelt, emotional, like like a wide range. You work with dogs, and I I I, I know. You build a bond with the dog that you work with, and then that dog goes. I know how that feels, but it's with a horse. And so we worked with this horse. I worked with this horse, and I'm learning. I'm aspiring. I'm not a master trainer or anything like that. I'm making mistakes. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. But Melissa's in in Texas, and she's wondering, well, they delivered, you know, when I – there was a change in her voice when they delivered corral panels, um, horse panels, you know, livestock panels to her house. There was a huge change in her voice. I think she thought we were taking her for a ride <laughs> in the beginning. And so I said, okay, got the horse. This is the date we're going to be there. I worked with some other, uh, some other folks. Uh, we didn't have a horse trailer, so I jumped in uh, the truck with, the Semper Fi Fund guys who were just happening, just happened to be in New Mexico doing a clinic here and were driving back to the San Antonio area and everything panned out. I was able to take that horse down to where they were working at the clinic and get that horse on some cows and, and training around some cows, um, get them some very much needed, um, out in the open training and, um, mm-hmm. loaded that horse up in a trailer and took him down to San Antonio near San Antonio where we delivered the horse. And um, so it wasn't a done deal. The The idea of giving a horse to someone that you've only seen video um, of them riding uh, someone else's horse and stuff like that, it's pretty, it's pretty scary, you know. So I drove yeah. all that way. John asked me, well, what are you going to do if this horse doesn't work out? Again, you work with animals, you know that there are times when you don't, you're not quite sure, you know, you, you work with a dog and that dog and that person, they just don't click, right? And have you ever experienced that or heard of that kind of? I've I've heard of that. I haven't, I mean, it's not something, or at least it's not something I've heard of in this organization or I've, I've, I've dealt with, but it's, it's a little bit of a different setup just because we, um. Like we have the veteran chosen for the dog, like pretty much like we pick the dog based on who they're going to, to make right. sure it's like a good fit from pretty much the beginning type of thing. So it's a little right. bit of a a different thing, mm-hmm. but I totally understand where you're coming from though, especially with a horse that you've just met recently, a person you've mm-hmm. just met recently. How, like, yeah. how do you know if it's going to be a good fit? And a horse is, I mean, dogs are in, incredible, but horses are they're huge wild animals. It's a big deal. 
And, and this is a this is a, a Mustang that has it was facility born, but it's it's a Mustang. It's not yeah. your pony that dropped out of a of a mare in a stable um, in Kentucky. This is a horse that was born of another wild horse, granted in a facility. So it's it's leaps and bounds ahead of the other two Mustangs that I have currently. But I, where, where I'm going is that you know we have all this in mind, and John says, "Well, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out?" I said, "Well, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to use the plane ticket that I have to come home. I'm going to fly back." I'm going to fly back home. I'm going to get my truck. I'm going to rent a horse trailer, and I'm going to drive down there, pick up the horse, and bring him back and figure it out. That's what I'm going to do. He said, all right, it's good enough for me. So anyhow, um, so we get Melissa there. Uh, she shows up to, to pick up the horse, and I talk to her for a little while. It's just talking to her face-to-face, one-on-one. She's beside herself. and um, I said, now it's paperwork time. So we sit down and we go through some paperwork and we make it very clear that, you know, this is her horse, but mm-hmm. please don't sell it without telling us. We might be able to help you out. If you're hard up for cash, we might be able to help you out. You know, don't just go getting rid of the horse. Um, if you're tired of it and you don't want to work it anymore, let us know. And we'll come back and get it. Um, uh, you're responsible. You know that we reserve the right until a date mentioned down the road, we can send a veterinarian to your house uh, to have them check on the horse. This, these are all things that uh, parts of the contract that she signed um, that she's aware of. And what it's really about is making sure that, okay, this is the real deal. I don't just get to come take this horse and I, I have to, I have to take care of it properly and so on and so forth. So uh, we take her out. Um, and uh, I, I put the lead rope on, on Cooper, and um, she meets her horse for the first time. And that was probably um, one of the greatest achievements of my entire life to date, was, was handing that lead rope over to a veteran who was struggling um, every day of her life to see the look on her face when I handed the lead rope to her um, was absolutely remarkable. I, I, I handed the lead rope to her and I looked at her for a few seconds and I couldn't handle anymore. I had to walk away because I don't want to look like a big baby. I went and cried behind the horse trailer. and um, And it was huge for me. You know, a year and a half, I finally did it. We finally did it. You know, all the hard work, everything that we've been through in the year and a half um, and two years since I I went to the program, um, we finally did it. We finally made it happen. And um, the goal is, the goal is now, now Melissa has her own horse. She's working this horse for her. And if she wants to continue doing this stuff, now I have, now I have a trainer. Now I have someone that's working horses actively. She doesn't work for a She doesn't work. She doesn't have a job. She can't work anymore. She's 100% disabled. Now she has a horse. She has something to look forward to every day. She could be a leader again. And the goal is now I can, 
Now I potentially have someone I can farm more house, horses out to, to give them a purpose, to give them a job, to change the life, to help uh, someone else change their life. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Right? So. Oh, yeah. So, so Melissa gets her horse. We get him saddled up. And she gets on him. And we go ride. And they click. They They click better than him and I clicked. The horse and I clicked. They clicked almost instantaneously. They needed each other. They needed each other. That's what those two needed were each other. And they found each other. And she was riding them all over the place, doing all kinds of stuff with them. And I'm just kind of a – I'm such a wreck because it's it's happening that I'm somewhat oblivious to what's going on. And I'm just trying to do what I got to do. And she's, she, she's doing great. Get the horse loaded up in the horse trailer um, after a few hours of riding around there and making sure everything was working well and she was comfortable and things like that. Um, a company that we work very close with uh, donates a saddle pad with every equine that we give. Give out. She got. She kind of set her. We wanted to set her up as, to be as successful as possible when she when she drove off down the road with her horse. She got back to her place. She had her corral set up. She had feed for him. She's all ready to go. And I flew back to New Mexico. And um, this is the the greatest, scariest part of the story, the whole thing. I uh, probably a week, probably a week after we delivered Cooper, kind of texting back and forth, how are things going? Good, whatever, you know. You get a phone call about nine thirty, ten o'clock at night from Melissa and I was oh my god oh no this isn't good you don't get phone calls at 10 o'clock at night like this this isn't good immediately my mind just went bad this is bad so pick up the phone hey hey Melissa how's it going and I just Jeremy yeah hey what's going on and there was a long pause like, oh, goodness, Something's, this isn't good. She goes, Jeremy? I said, yeah, thank you. This horse is incredible. This horse is changing my life. I love him. I'm getting up every morning. Every morning I get up and I go feed him and I lay on his back as he eats. And I love him. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I There's no way I can ever thank you enough for this. And I had to just say, well, good. I'm glad. Glad things are working out for you, you know. I'm glad you guys are getting along well. Uh, makes me happy to see you guys working together. It's like I have so many plans for him. I can't wait. He's doing so well. And and so she sends me video updates and she sends me pictures of her and him working together. She's trailing cows on him. She's riding him around. She started riding him bareback and doing all kinds of different things with him. She's doing. So it's almost like she had the 
Yeah, you literally just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> She's experiencing yeah. my experience. She's doing it. She's got another That's horse. Amazing. She she obtained another horse somewhere else. She has two horses now. She's still she's doing it. And so and so where we get stuck, and I know she gets stuck, I get stuck. I was stuck today, earlier today before I talked to you on the phone. We have bad days like everybody else. And and parts of me try to be like, Well, I can't have bad days anymore because I'm all I'm all better. Well, bullcrap, I'm not all better. I still struggle. I still have my moments. Um, I still I still have a hard time dealing with things. I still have a hard time coping at times. But now I'm not so focused and honed in on being miserable. It, it may sound it may sound ridiculous, but I have something to distract me. But if you sit around and feel miserable and look at how miserable things are the time and you're not engaged, you're not doing something, then you're going to be miserable. But if you're looking at something yeah. else and you're, do, you're doing something else, you're going to move forward. And she's doing it. She truly is. She's doing it. on her, And she's doing it on her own. She's, she's feeding him. She's taking care of him. She's training him. She's, um, and she's excited. She's exuberant. Talk to her on the phone. I get texts from her, and we, you know, she's out there and she's getting after it. And that's really what it's about: is is challenging and inspiring these veterans who who go into combat and they get out, or these first responders who who spend 20 years as a cop or uh, a fireman that spend you know 25 years as a fireman, and they see all these horrific things and they do all these horrific things. And they do things that are noble, and they do things for the greater good of someone else, and they do it selflessly, and then it stops. It stops. You can't be a policeman anymore. You can't be you can't be a soldier anymore. You can't be a Marine anymore. It stops. Excuse me, but what the hell am I supposed to do? Of course. Well, you have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you have to drive forward. And so I'm not necessarily interested. I, I, I love horsemanship for veterans. I think it, it makes sense. I think when you start talking about horsemanship and leadership with a veteran and they can understand you have to support the horse. You have to work with the horse. You have to, you have to be confident. If I if I wasn't confident in front of my soldiers, my soldiers would laugh at me and leave me. But you have to be confident. You have to force yourself to be confident. If you if you're not confident in front of your horse, your horse isn't going to respond to you positively. That's how that stuff works. But I really just want, in a way, I just kind of want to be a beacon for the veteran, the veteran or the first responder or someone out there that's going, man. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm at the, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I've hit rock bottom, and I don't know what to do. Well, just do something. Take that step. On that note, um, what what are your next steps with Charlie Five Horsemanship? Like, where? What's next? What do you? Where do you want to take your organization? 
Um, that's a that's a really good question because there's something I fear. Quite honestly, something I fear is becoming an administrator. I get locked in quite a bit at work, quite a bit working and doing my thing. I get caught up in administration. So let me take you back a little bit. The Simplify Fund Apprenticeship Program accepted me as an apprentice is really remarkable because they don't typically deal with nonprofits and they don't want to deal with horse trainers. They had a lot of horse trainers that failed and they didn't want to deal with horse trainers, but I sold I sold our program. So I I was I was still working for the federal government. I quit my job with the federal government, retirement, health care plan, and all the kinds of good stuff. I quit my job to do this full time. Quit. Bye. See ya. Not doing it anymore. Um, and so I do this full time and the Simplify Fund Apprenticeship Program made it possible for me to do that. They helped us build. They gave us funding to get stuff built. Um, they helped kind of offset the, the transition funding wise. Um, they gave me a grant that enabled me to, to, to get paid a little bit until, um, for, I can't remember how long it was going to be. It's like a year. So I was going to get paid for a year. Very, not even minimum wage, basically, just enough to kind of help offset the cost of me being away from my job. Rose and I paid off uh, some of our debt, and um, so now I'm basically a full-time unpaid volunteer for for this organization. Um, and that's a good. It's a good question. You ask how. What's what's the next step? Where do we want to go, and what do we want to do? Um, I really, like I said, I don't want to be an administrator. Um, we've had some good, good fortune in working with, um, Chris Cox. He's a, a horse trainer. Um, he's a very well-known horse trainer out of Texas. Um, we've received some grants that have enabled us to do some pretty incredible things. Um, my dream and my vision is to have a facility, a place piece of land with a barn and a little house and some acreage where um, as we identify veterans who are interested in doing that, doing what we're doing and being a part of it and taking on horses, we can bring the veteran to us. I don't want to be a therapist. I don't want to be um, a psychologist or psychiatrist. I just want to bring them to us so they can um, – they can get to know the horse on their own, on the horse's home turf. So the horse is going to be more comfortable and more confident. So that'll instill more com- comfort and, and confidence in the, in the veteran. So when we send that horse to them, they've already established a bond and they're going to work better together on their own turf together. Um, delivering a horse to a veteran is a better. Yeah, delivering the horse to the veteran in San Antonio was less than optimal. Um, but it's it's working, and, and you got to take what you can get. Um, so my wife and I are trying to figure out really what what are our next steps. Um, you, I'm almost 40 years old. Uh, I really don't 
it's really kind of hard to pick up and do anything. Rose has a very good job, um, and I'm a I'm a trophy husband at this point, so I don't I uh, I don't get to. Uh, we're just trying to figure out what that next step is. How do we get How do we get there? How do we increase our reach to veterans? How do we come up with the funding to increase our reach? How do we come up with how do we find a place where we can keep horses? I we have a houses on a two acre plot of land that I can't put a horse on. So we lease property. And it, the property is less than optimal. It's just a piece of property. Um, I'm not going to invest people's donations on improving it because it's a lease and I know I'm leaving. So my ability to effectively train is is minimized um, to a to a degree, um, and that's that that causes issues in and of itself. But we're still doing it. I haven't let it stop me. It's just slowed me down a little bit, slowed us down a little bit. And um, um, I'd like to get to where um, I'm working. Our organization is working with trainers around the country who we uh, who want to get involved in being mentors to these veterans. And instead of uh, always having the veteran come to us and be and be here. Um, Jeff and Kelsey Cook live in, in near Tucson, Arizona. If I have a veteran near Tucson, Arizona, instead of bringing that veteran to me and our organization, send that veteran to Jeff and Kelsey. So he can sleep in his own house every night, but he can go over, he can go over to, to Jeff's and work uh, with him. That's a, a guy that idea. has has far more horsemanship experience than I'll ever have. Um, it's a big learning curve to go from being a uh, uh, doing the stuff that I was doing to now I've decided at 30-some years old I'm going to be a horse trainer. Horse trainers my age have 20, 25 years experience behind them. And so um, I really just want to um, be able to impact the veteran i want to be able to make sure that anytime we get we're dealing with a horse we're giving that horse the absolute best that we can give it because the horse didn't have a choice you just yeah you pick them up you play with them you throw them in a horse trailer you drive them somewhere else you dump them off and you know they don't get a choice right so we want to make sure that, that the choice that we make for them is the absolute best choice that we can make. That's why the second animal, the the second animal we delivered, that's how that worked out. That was the mule that I I trained. I I gave him away to another veteran um, because the veteran needed him, and I couldn't bear to see that mule not have a purpose here with me. I couldn't be, I didn't want to be selfish. I, here he is, he's a great mule. He's got a lot of potential. He can do a lot of stuff. And he sits in the stall here because I can't get to him. I can't work to him because I have other priorities that I got to deal with. And he was miserable. Oh, I thought he was miserable. I mean, I don't know. That's pretty anthropomorphic. But 
Um, so I started thinking, well, where can he, what can we do with them? I don't, I didn't want to get rid of them. Rose begged me not to get rid of him. She didn't want him to begin with, but at, by the time I was like, I think we need to get rid of Duncan. I think we need to send him off somewhere. She's like, you can't do that. You can't get rid of him. And so I was like, I don't want to, but I have to do what's best for Duncan. Duncan is now working with a veteran in Colorado, and they're thriving. Both of them are thriving. Duncan's taking pack trips up in the Tetons now. Um, oh, that's got to be amazing. It it is, and and so it's it's not always necessarily about the veteran. It's not it's 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 about the veteran and the animal and and doing what's best for both of them. And absolutely, it's 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 about living. It's about showing these these other veterans that I come in contact with and I talk to them. Get out there and live. You can. You know it's hard. I know you don't even want to talk to the checkout lady at the grocery store. But start by just saying hi. And it'll be and you are you are living proof of that. I am I am living proof of that. To to today I am living proof of that. I look back two years, three years ago and I, I think to myself, I can't believe how close things were. I can't believe Rose didn't find out till after I'd long been back from the program how bad a shape I was in. She didn't had no idea. My family didn't have any idea because I kept it tucked so deep because it was just I would just add to more of the stress, more of the burden that I felt like I was I already was. We're gonna tell anybody. So there's no, hope. I had a choice to make. I chose to live, and now I'm living. Doesn't mean I don't have setbacks. It doesn't mean I don't have rough days. But I'm living, and I'm going to baseball games, and I'm going. I'm coming back from the game. Going to the baseball game sober, and I'm coming back from the game sober. Um, I'm getting Which up is in front really of people. a really big deal. Huge deal for me. I'm, I'm getting up in front of people um, at our events. Uh, we have a golf tournament in spring, and we have our gala in the, in the fall. Uh, I'm getting up in front of, of all the participants in the, in the golf tournament and thanking them for being there and going out and making sure I shake each and every one of their hands for supporting our organization. Um, last year at the gala, I got up on stage and played guitar and sang a song in front of everybody there. Um, wow. That's stuff I, you would never, ever catch me doing. You'd catch me in the corner all by myself, my very, very, very cautiously looking around the room. These things are possible. You change. It is a huge change. Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely possible, and I mean, it's just you're doing really incredible stuff, and you've made a. I just can't get over the difference you've made in your own life, period, and then also the difference you're making in other people's lives too. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, um, how can people? 
Oh, go ahead. I don't know how. I try. I just. I just want to help people out. That's what I was put on earth to do. That's why law enforcement, military, firefighter, you name it. That's what I was put on earth to do. I don't. Delivering that horse to Melissa made it all worth it. And if, if heaven forbid it all falls, falls apart and we can't do it anymore, then I did it. Right. But come hell or high water, water we're going to figure out a way to still try and impact people and, and let them know that, that it's possible. So how can people, how can people help? Like, how can people find out more about you? How can they donate? Um, big thing is you go to our website. Um, I'm always, obviously I've been talking for a long time tonight, but, um, <laughs> I'm always willing to talk to people. Um, I want to, I want to make it real clear that we're, we're not a therapeutic writing program. Um, I just don't have the ability to do that personally and, um, and, and facility wise. But we do know of other organizations um, that we can direct you to, and we'll, we'll direct you to a, a program that can help you out. Um, the biggest way to help, it's hard because I always want to say money, right? It costs a lot of money to keep a horse. It costs me 10 or so dollars a day to keep a horse. And the more money we have, the more people we can impact, the, the more we can more we can do. Um, but... Honestly, the, the biggest way to help is just spread the word. Spread the word about what we're doing. Uh, spread the word about what animals do in general to, to help people, whether it's service dogs, uh, service peacocks on Southwest Airlines. I don't know if you heard that one. All the time. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, um, horse, horses, um, you know, and – that's that's the biggest way to help. And another thing I want to I want to bring up just very briefly, and I think uh, Rob touched on it um, very briefly. I I was a I was an infantryman in the National Guard, and I was a cook in the Air Force. Um, and I think a lot a lot of veterans and 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 first responders and stuff like that, they feel like their experience should and can be or will be minimized. Because of the role that they may be played, I don't care if you're if you got deployed to Doha, Cutter, and you were a personnelist, and you have your struggles with with life after you got out of the military, after you got back. That's your experience. My experience in the Middle East, in in Iraq, and Kuwait, and Cutter, and everywhere that I've been. Those are unique to me, just like Rob's experience was unique to him. I have guys that I went overseas with that I still stay in contact with. They're like, yeah, dude, no skin off my teeth. I'm good. There are guys in my unit that committed suicide. So we all handle things differently, and it's, that's the important thing. 
is just because you may have been a finance person or something, you never left the wire. That doesn't mean your experience is any less than my experience or the Navy SEAL experience that shot uh, Osama bin Laden. It's your experience. Um, I just want to make a really good point. I struggled with that a long time. I was just in the National Guard. I didn't really do anything. I was just this. I never really did anything, and I minimized it, and I minimized it, and it festered into this big, nasty mess. But, again, the biggest way to help is spread the word. Spread the word about programs, legitimate programs that are that are working to help veterans. Um, I'll, always, I'll always take your money. I don't get paid for it. Nobody gets paid here. It's not like we're... We're we're making a salary. Every dime that we get goes back into the program. In some way or another, it goes back to the program. Most of it goes to feeding these guys because they eat so stinking much. But they <laughs> cost so, so much money um, that – but really, there's programs out there that are legitimate. I'm not taking away from big big programs or big organizations out there, but if you really want to make an impact – Look for the program maybe that's in your community or in your state that's doing something to help. Those are the ones that really need the money. I mean, we eat by and we bust our butts to raise money and, and have fundraisers and things like that. And um, I got to say, because I have to say it, but uh, I had the uh, honor of meeting a man named David Corlew in Las Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo last year. We go to the National Finals Rodeo, and you go to Las Vegas. Most people go to Vegas and they have a good time and they party. Um, we go to Las. We've gone to Las Vegas when last year, and we're going again this year. We're going there to work during the National Finals Rodeo. The entire equine, livestock, agricultural community basically descends upon Las Vegas during the National Finals Rodeo for ten days, and we use that as an opportunity to go out there and meet people. And talk to talk to organizations and companies and stuff about what we're doing. And last year, I met a gentleman named David Corlew. Uh, David Corlew has been uh, the manager of Charlie Daniels, so the the Charlie Daniels uh, musician, fiddle player, Devil Went Down to George guy, for 40 years. And uh, we had the honor of meeting this gentleman. I told him uh, a, a more condensed version of my story and what we're doing. And um, they run a program, they run a, a nonprofit called the Journey Home Project. And they look for programs out there that are helping make a difference in the veteran community. Um, they're, they're, look, they're interested in helping programs that help other veterans, you know, re rehabilitation, education, and things like that. So Mr. Corlew sent me a, uh, a grant application i fill it out and they send us some money and then talked to him again after melissa and and, and the mule duncan the mule got delivered and um he sent us another grant application and the uncle of mine that passed away just recently always used to tell me when we first getting started he says jeremy you don't get what you don't ask for so i asked this i asked in my grant application crossing my fingers and praying asked for twenty thousand dollars buy a horse trailer because that's what a piece of equipment we desperately needed to be able to fulfill our mission to move horses 
what we have is just wasn't cutting it. It's getting the job done, but it just wasn't cutting it. And uh, long story short, Mr. Corlew, Mr. Daniels, and their board of directors sent us a grant for $20,000 to buy us a brand-new custom-made horse trailer. Wow. So we can move horses anywhere we need to move horses, any time, anywhere we can move horses, and we can move them probably five at a time. So That's amazing. Uh, so it's organizations like that, the small ones, where you make you can make a huge difference. Just to, I mean, twenty thousand dollars is a lot of money, but ten dollars a month. We started a program called Ten Bucks for Chuck, hoping to get three. It's like thirty people or three people. I'm sorry, thirty people to sign up for our ten bucks for Chuck, so we could get three hundred dollars a month, and that would basically pay for one horse. For their feed for a month, to, and that, that's including like barriers and, and uh, uh, veterinary stuff and all that stuff. There's supplements and everything I got to take. Everything to take care of, of course. Ten dollars, ten dollars a day. We started out with that. So your ten, a ten dollars a month will go a long way with us. That's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> that's very true. That's very very true. And I'll I'll link I'll link your website in in the podcast description on my website at uh, Deviation Podcast the deviationpodcast dot com so that people can people can get more information and get involved and and donate I mean and just spread the word and just like Jeremy was saying because there's so many different ways that you can you can contribute. Right. I mean, if you know a veteran that that's struggling and having a hard time, I may not be able to help personally, but I can point him. I can point him in a direction. Um, exactly. We get it. We understand. We're. Um, I don't judge people. I, I don't. You're having a hard time. You're. Do, but most important thing to me is is watching these veterans going what they're going through. Um, and they're afraid to speak up because they're afraid of being uh, – they're afraid for whatever reason. They're afraid of people not believing them. They're afraid of people looking at them funny. They're afraid the VA and other entities aren't necessarily taking that great a care of them. And they're afraid or they don't want to speak up. They don't want to look like they're weak or anything like that. Tell you what, it's – it's a lot more work and it's, it's, it takes a lot more strength to stand up and say, Hey, um, I need help and I, I want to get help and I want to move forward. I just hate to see him. We're the most capable people on the planet. I truly believe that we're the most capable people on earth. We've been trained. We have the skills. We have the abilities to do do so many things and do anything we want and we can so put it to good use move forward um, absolutely absolutely just just like you did and like I said before you really you really are living proof of just that I just wanted to thank you for agreeing to first off for reaching out to me because that just meant the world in and of itself 
And then I also want to thank you for agreeing to let me interview you because you're doing amazing things and your reasoning behind them is just as amazing. And how you've gone through life and how it is you've gotten to where you are now just inspiring doesn't quite hit it. Like it's another level in that. So thank you for, thank you for letting me interview you and thank you. Thank you for sharing your story.